Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. see the central narrative that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, May 12th, 2023, the 842nd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday we talked about Donald Trump's performance at the CNN town hall in New Hampshire and the reaction to all of that by the mainstream media and by the uniparty right and left online and by all of the horrified villagers who stared in the mirror and got an image of their future and it was just as ugly as their past. And the meltdown continued into the evening last night. This is Anderson Cooper with a very interesting little clip from his show on CNN. And it's interesting because the first half of it and the second half of it are totally different. And I know it's annoying to listen to these people, but just go ahead and do it. And while you're listening, try to imagine that you are a common CNN audience member who voted for Joe Biden and loves COVID and BLM and all of the things. Many of you have expressed deep anger and disappointment. Many of you are upset that someone who attempted to destroy our democracy was invited to sit on a stage in front of a crowd of Republican voters to answer questions and predictably continued to spew lie after lie after lie. And I get it. It was disturbing. It was disturbing to see and hear that person refer to a black law enforcement officer as a thug, an adjective he used many times to describe black men. 
and call Caitlin Collins, the moderator, nasty, which is what he calls any woman who stands up to him. It was disturbing to hear him speak so highly of QAnon conspirators and insurrectionists who assaulted police officers in our democracy on January 6th. And it was awful to hear him spread ridiculous lies about the election. And it was certainly disturbing to hear that audience, young and old, our fellow citizens, people who love their kids and go to church, laugh and applaud his lies and his continued defamation of a woman who, according to a jury of his peers, he sexually abused and defamed. As good a job as Caitlin Collins did trying to fact check him, it is impossible to fact check fully because he lies so shamelessly. Now, many of you think CNN shouldn't have given him any platform to speak, and I understand the anger about that, giving him the audience, the time, I get that. But this is what I also get. The man you were so disturbed to see and hear from last night, that man is the front runner for the Republican nomination for president. And according to polling, no other Republican is even close. That man you were so upset to hear from last night, he may be president of the United States in less than two years. And that audience that upset you, that's a sampling of about half the country. They are your family members, your neighbors, and they are voting. And many said they're voting for him. Now, maybe you haven't been paying attention to him since he left office. Maybe you've been enjoying not hearing from him, thinking it can't happen again. Some investigation is going to stop him. Well, it hasn't so far. So if last night showed anything, it showed it can happen again. It is happening again. He hasn't changed and he is running hard. You have every right to be outraged today and angry and never watch this network again. But do you think staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make that person go away? Now, that's quite a clip. Anderson Cooper starts talking about how Donald Trump has lied and lied. It was just a buffet of lies at the CNN town hall, all in front of a Republican audience in New Hampshire. Now, that's a lie. That audience was Republican and undeclared. Doesn't Anderson Cooper, doesn't CNN care about factual accuracy while they're calling other people liars? He misdescribes intentionally the audience that Trump spoke in front of in New Hampshire. Not all of those people are Republicans. Many were undeclared. New Hampshire actually has a high level of undeclared voters. People don't have the same conformity to political party associations in New Hampshire. And then Anderson Cooper immediately launches into the social justice warrior style attacks on Trump. He called a black man a thug. He actually called a Capitol police officer who shot an unarmed woman a thug. If that doesn't count as thug, I'm not sure what does. He said that Trump calls women nasty women if they have the temerity to disagree with him. Well, that's not why he called Caitlin Collins a nasty woman. She was being overtly disrespectful to him when he said that. That was the moment where Trump was answering a question of hers. She cut him off. He said, do you want me to answer your question? And she said, yeah, that's why I asked it. Now, I didn't go to journalism school, but for people who pretend to be professional, objective journalists, that's not being professional or objective. It was being catty and combative. And Trump is combative, so he calls it out. And he went through and recited the rest of the complaints about Trump's town hall performance and how bad Trump is. And he tried to destroy our democracy and he made fun of a victim of sexual abuse as defined by a civil court jury decision and not on any evidence whatsoever. But then his message changed completely. He told the audience exactly what they are used to hearing, what they're always used to hearing. He reaffirmed all the things that had upset them in the last 24 hours. And then he took a turn down a decidedly different path and began letting the audience know that this thing is very real. Donald Trump is the front runner for the Republican nomination by far and away. No one else is close. It's going to be him. He might well win the general election. That's what Anderson Cooper was just communicating to the CNN audience. You thought this wouldn't happen again? Well, it can happen again. In fact, it is happening again. And those audience members out there, those are your friends and your family and your neighbors. Those people really believe what they believe. 
And they're just as happy to go out and support what they believe as all of you whining liberals are while you're watching CNN. He ended by saying, well, I know you're angry and you have every right to never watch this network again. But do you really think that staying in your silo and only listening to people you agree with is going to make Trump go away? That is a very interesting question to ask an audience of 100% villagers. Because that's what they've been told for years now. Just get rid of Trump in the 2020 election. He's going to go away. Everything goes back to normal. And you don't have to care anymore. You can just go back to your couch, go back to your Netflix, go back to your Uber Eats, go back to your work from home laptop job, and we'll take it from here. Just get rid of Trump and we're all good. Two and a half years later, they've realized that wasn't true at all. Trump hasn't gone anywhere. Their lives haven't gone back to how they were before COVID, before Trump, back in the good old days, before Trump turned everything terrible. He let everybody know, hey, there's actually something wrong and there's actually other people with other interests who are going to stand up and fight for those interests. So however comfortable you've been, Obama voters, that little joyride is over. That was very upsetting for people because the television made it upsetting for them. And they've spent the last eight years trying to recover from that feeling, and it hasn't worked. The media has made them think that Donald Trump is over. All of this is gone. He's going to be replaced with Ron DeSantis. He's going to be replaced with Glenn Youngkin. He's going to be replaced with Liz Cheney. That's what the audience of Anderson Cooper 360 has been hearing for the last two and a half years. So Anderson Cooper, maybe by accident, just made all their worst nightmares real. And maybe this will boost CNN's ratings down the line if they continue down some path that is more at least open and friendly to ideas outside of the mainstream media bubble. There's no reason to believe right now that that's going to happen. But there's also no reason to believe that Anderson Cooper just suddenly turned some corner and thinks that there's something worth listening to on the other side. Now, I don't pretend that Anderson Cooper is just representing his own personal beliefs on TV. Anderson Cooper is part of an historic regime family. He's almost definitely an intelligence asset. So it's hard to know exactly where he's coming from. But that second half of that clip all of that is stuff that just simply does not get said to these people very often. And hey, maybe he's just protecting CNN and saying to CNN's viewers, I'm sorry that you saw something you didn't like, but you can't just throw a tantrum and hide from reality. Either way, in the last 36 hours or so, a whole lot of people have had to face the reality that Trump has gone nowhere, MAGA has gone nowhere, and it is still stronger, smarter, funnier, and more powerful than anything that they can put up. I cannot imagine what is happening to these people psychologically. Now, if you've been listening over the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been tracking the release of the Jeffrey Epstein calendar information and all of the people connected to that calendar Obama's fixer, Catherine Rumler, the current CIA director, William Burns, Ariane de Rothschild, the banker. We have Bill Gates, of course, and people like that. Reed Hoffman, the LinkedIn founder who just funded E. Jean Carroll's lawsuit and may be donating to Ron DeSantis's campaign. Noam Chomsky, MIT, Harvard, etc. And Larry Page. Well, this week it's been reported that Larry Page is quote unquote missing. This is from Newsweek yesterday, but this was reported earlier in the week. Larry Page missing as Google founder faces Jeffrey Epstein lawsuit. The U.S. Virgin Islands is struggling to find Google co-founder Larry Page in order to subpoena him as part of a lawsuit against J.P. Morgan Chase. According to federal court documents filed on May 4th, the government of the United States has been attempting to find a physical address of Page to subpoena him. The documents state that the government identified four possible addresses, none of which were valid. Prosecutors are now requesting the federal government allow Page to be summoned via Alphabet, Google's parent company, due to the fact 
he still remains a board member despite stepping down as Google CEO. The initial subpoena documents to Page were issued on April 11th, so a month now. The court documents also outlined the initial lawsuit against J.P. Morgan Chase Bank for its interactions with deceased convicted human trafficker and sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. The document said the government brought this civil action against defendant J.P. Morgan Chase N.A. as part of its ongoing effort to protect public safety and hold accountable those who facilitated or participated in directly or indirectly the trafficking enterprise of Jeffrey Epstein. The government's investigation has revealed that J.P. Morgan knowingly, recklessly and unlawfully provided and pulled the levers through which Epstein's recruiters and victims were paid and was indispensable to the operation and concealment of the Epstein trafficking enterprise. Financial institutions can connect or choke human trafficking networks and enforcement actions filed and injunctive relief obtained by attorneys general are essential to ensure that enterprises like Epstein's cannot flourish in the future. The government's investigation further revealed that J.P. Morgan financially profited from the deposits made by Epstein and Epstein-controlled entities located in the Virgin Islands and from the business opportunities referred to J.P. Morgan by Epstein and his co-conspirators in exchange for its known facilitation of and implicit participation in Epstein's sex trafficking venture. The court documents go on to state that Larry Page is a high net worth individual who may have referred or attempted to refer to J.P. Morgan. It also added the government has made good faith efforts to obtain an address for Page to serve him the subpoena personally. The document closed by stating, moreover, the fact discovery end date is at the end of this month. In these circumstances, the court should, in the interest of securing just and expeditious resolution, authorize the government to provide alternative service by serving Mr. Page by service upon Alphabet Incorporated's registered agent. The article notes that other high-profile businessmen to be subpoenaed in connection to the lawsuit include fellow Google co-founder Sergey Brin, Hyatt Hotels chairman Thomas Pritzker of the Pritzker family, J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois. You got Penny Pritzker, who used to be the Commerce Secretary, and then you have Jennifer Pritzker, who used to be James Pritzker. All cousins, all billionaires. What a family. And also connected to the lawsuit, media magnate Mortimer Zuckerman and former CAA talent agency chairman Michael Ovitz. So they cannot find a physical address to serve Larry Page with papers. A famous regime-connected billionaire, co-founder of Google, they can't find this man. Where is Larry Page? And so they're going to try to serve the papers to Google in lieu of being able to actually give them to Larry Page. Now, all of this is very strange. Elon Musk on the Tucker Carlson interview a couple of weeks ago was talking about Larry Page. Larry Page was basically set up by Elon as the bizarro world Elon Musk. They started OpenAI together, but Larry Page is actually the bad AI guy. He's trying to create some new techno god out of all of the data in the world that he has obviously collected through Google. And he expressed to Elon Musk that Elon's concerns about the advancement of AI and how powerful AI could become as speciesist. He was putting humans above the AI tech god Larry Page hoped to create. And obviously, we just recounted some of the links between Jeffrey Epstein and the technocracy and the global regime and obviously massive tech entrepreneurs and billionaires. We've discussed how he was working on banking algorithms. I bet that's not the only algorithm, especially not if Larry Page and Sergey Brin and Bill Gates are all connected to the same thing. Now, there was a really interesting thread about Larry Page from the Mises Caucus on Twitter. And here it is. With Larry Page on the run, it's a good time to revisit the ties between Google and the intelligence community. At the inception of mass surveillance in the U.S. lies the partnership between government and Google. 
Page and company have paved the way to more efficient methods of intelligence, reducing the need for human intel gathering and placing your every search at their fingertips. Among Page and Sergey Brin's earliest partners are DARPA, NSA, and the CIA. While Google has attempted to scrub some of its connections to early grant programs, it is undeniable that at the core of Google's founding is the intent to do the bidding of the intelligence community. And he links an article from the website Medium called How the CIA Made Google. And the image for that article is the old Google motto, don't be evil. Imagine that a company can make its motto its mission, don't be evil and fail. Like that is a very, very low bar. It also is kind of a taunt. It's telling everybody, hey, we totally have the capacity to be as evil as anything this world has ever experienced, but we are committed to not being evil. Not being evil is literally the least anyone could do, and they just couldn't clear that bar. But back to the threat. Denying the contribution of the massive digital data systems grant has become a matter of importance for the CIA and Google, forcing the project manager to retract her position that Sergey Brin contributed to key intelligence programs. And that's a note citing from the prior article in Medium. Google helped the Intel community organize and share its information using Intellipedia, an internal catalog of topics of interest like Edward Snowden and the Boy Scouts of America. Now the CIA and Google are investment partners in a company called Recorded Future, which uses predictive analysis to gather and distribute information from the Internet. Careful, they don't like it when you say predictive analysis. And they link to an article from the Washington Post. They added a screenshot of an update to that WAPO article that says the description of recorded future was changed at the request of the company, which said, while this may seem like splitting hairs in the world of data analysis software, predictive analytics has specific technical meaning, which implies something different. We use the term web intelligence to reduce this confusion. How clarifying. In a not shocking turn of events, Google and CIA-backed Recorded Future has been used to make claims against Snowden, and they cite an NPR article from 2014. In response to a Twitter reply that says, as the legacy media loses its foothold in narrative control, expect more overt pushes to regulate and control your online activities. Mises responded, it's happening right now. As we speak, the FBI is currently soliciting evidence from local law enforcement agencies about how many investigations have been hindered by encryption in order to make the argument for regulation in the name of national security. They want to make sure they have all the information and they don't want anything to hinder their ability to get the information. The thread goes on. When the federal government creates quote-unquote private entities, to surveil Americans in ways a government agency is prohibited from doing, the results can be terrifying. And we do live in that world. That is what's happening. All of the stuff that the government is not allowed to do gets farmed out to corporations who specialize in doing that very thing. The government is not allowed to delegate to private entities that which it is not allowed by the Constitution to do itself. And the thread wraps up this way. So Google is using AI to scan all your data and report it to the feds. Recorded future is determining what you are going to do and reporting it to the feds. What are the feds doing? They are using the manpower freed up by the technology firms to infiltrate your private chats. And they link to an article from Lee Fang's Substack. This is two days ago. Private spies hired by the FBI and corporate firms infiltrate Discord, Reddit, and WhatsApp. That anonymous internet persona with an anime cartoon avatar in your Discord chat might actually be a contractor sent to spy on you. Enter the world of threat intelligence. 
It's the term of art for a growing set of surveillance and security firms that create fake online personas to infiltrate and scrape data from private corners of the Internet. The industry provides corporate and government clients with insight into conversations on private invite only discord chats, WhatsApp groups, Reddit forums and dark web message boards to help those powerful customers keep tabs on a variety of potential threats from political hacktivists to the illegal markets that traffic in stolen passwords and intellectual property. And Lee Fang's article goes on and fleshes out a lot of this information. Go read it if you like. Lee Fang was at The Intercept up until a few months ago. That's Pierre Omidyar's outlet. He's the founder of eBay and a globalist billionaire. And Lee Fang is a liberal. It would have been lovely if any of these people had been reporting on this before the Twitter files got thrown in their laps. So it's important to be mindful of the perspective. But all of this is continuing to just fill in that picture of what we can pretty clearly see now as an advanced surveillance state with the propaganda and censorship all working together to control the behavior of virtually everyone. This is the sort of thing that not too many years ago used to be called a conspiracy theory. And honestly, even today, the villagers would still call all of this a conspiracy theory because everything they don't want to believe is real or worry about is a conspiracy theory. Sure, the government and intel agencies can work with tech companies to track everything you do and know everything about you and have all your data, but they're not looking specifically at you because you would never do anything wrong. So it's okay. And it's just what we have to deal with. But I don't think it's any coincidence that all of this is converging right now. The AI stories, the censorship stories, the surveillance stories, the propaganda stories, all of this involving big tech and these overriding algorithms that run companies like Google and Facebook and YouTube, of course, as part of Google. And Twitter and the list just goes on and on and on. And Twitter may be separate from that now. That's possible. We saw algorithm disruptions on other platforms when Twitter was handed over to Elon Musk. But all of this is coming together now, and it's intersecting with the Jeffrey Epstein story in very strange ways. So yesterday on Twitter, Elon Musk reasserted what he's said in many places, including on that interview with Tucker Carlson a couple of weeks ago. He said the most entertaining outcome is the most likely. And also yesterday, he announced that he had hired a new CEO who was going to be starting as Twitter's CEO in around six weeks. This is from the National Pulse today. Who is Linda Yaccarino? The World Economic Forum aligned exec Elon Musk hired as Twitter CEO. Elon Musk has reportedly settled on Linda Yaccarino, an advertising executive who has peddled far left woke ideology and appears to be entangled with the World Economic Forum to replace him as CEO of Twitter or X Corp, as the company is now known. As chairman of Comcast Universal, Yaccarino, 60, interviewed Musk in April about his vision for the social media platform. Yaccarino's biography states that she is an executive chairman of Klaus Schwab's notorious World Economic Forum, which brings together globalist, political, corporate, and non-governmental organizational elites every year at the Davos Resort in Switzerland to push its Great Reset agenda. She also lists herself as chairman of the WEF's task force on future of work, sits on its media, entertainment, and culture industry governor's steering committee, and is highly engaged with the Value in Media initiative, which is aimed at reshaping online discourse. Common standards would be followed so certain types of content would not exist and would certainly not be monetized through advertising. One value in media report states of the WEF's agenda for digital speech. The future of work task force, meanwhile, seems as focused on incentivizing illegal immigration by allowing more migrants into host countries, labor forces and tilting at the gender gap windmill as it is on the future of work as such. 
In her role as a former chairman and current executive board member of the Ad Council, Yaccarino also partnered with the Biden government and its agencies to create a COVID-19 vaccination campaign featuring Pope Francis and reaching over 200 million Americans from 2021 to 2022. And obviously, every single bit of that sounds terrible so far. But there's also this. She served on President Trump's Council on Sports Fitness and Nutrition from 2018 to 2021 as well. So what are we to make of that? Did Trump get tricked? Did Elon get tricked? Who exactly is this woman? It's going to take us a little while to find out. The WF-linked activist appears to be committed to the far left's vision of diversity, inclusion, and equality, praising initiatives to make news teams 50% women and 50% people of color. As a board member of another WEF-linked organization called the Female Quotient, Yaccarino has pushed initiatives to foster gender and economic equality and racial justice in partnership with the likes of Google, Instagram, and Twitter's pre-Musk iteration. She is also a believer in the so-called gender gap, which is, by the way, just an economic falsehood. And if there's anybody out there who thinks that women get paid 82 cents on the dollar for the same work that men do, well, you are mistaken. You have been misled by statistics. I can't imagine that anyone in this audience is still hanging on to that ridiculous falsehood. All in all, Yaccarino's resume is unlikely to inspire much confidence in conservative and right-leaning voices, a theme clearly identified by Musk and his allies just a few hours after he announced a new CEO and Yaccarino's name was floated. Alex on Twitter, the account at ALX, wrote, regardless of who the new ex slash Twitter CEO is, Elon will still be executive chair. And especially after our conversations today, I'm confident he'll ensure that the company stays true to 2.0 values. Ensuring the platform allows the most free speech possible is a top priority for him. And Elon responded, the commitment to open source transparency and accepting a wide range of viewpoints remains unchanged. This is at odds with Yaccarino's comments to Musk during their aforementioned interview, however, when she told him advertisers need to know they can, quote, influence what you're building, end quote, and urged him to stop tweeting after 3 a.m. because advertisers, quote, would like to see that. She disagreed with the South African entrepreneur when he argued that advertiser influence of the sort she described would be very wrong and a diminishment of free speech. It's more of an open feedback loop for advertisers to help develop Twitter into a place where they will be excited about investing more money, product development, ad safety, content moderation. That's what the influence is, she suggested. Musk's awkward potential appointment revives the words of caution expressed by National Pulse editor Raheem Kassam in April 2022 when he warned, quote, there is no telling what Musk, a man who has attended a number of Chinese communist-backed artificial intelligence conferences in recent years, will do next. We must remain on our guard, and we must not abandon the alternative platforms that we have built in recent years. We are likely to regret it if we do. And I think that that is a fine comment. I'm extremely hesitant to take any strong opinion on this hire at this point. Obviously, there is nothing good about that background except for the Trump part. And she might have really critical work experience. She might have a skill set and a network that can push Twitter forward in productive ways. That obviously remains to be seen. It's also still six weeks from now when she actually takes over as CEO, if that does indeed happen in six weeks. But I was talking with John on Badlands Daily this morning, and we were discussing this, and I noted that Trump has put a lot of people around him to do specific jobs. And many people have observed that we don't need perfect people in all of these jobs. They just need to do the thing they're hired for. 
Elon Musk is going to remain executive chairman. He's going to remain chief technology officer. He has affirmed again and again that he does not want to go back to the Twitter 1.0 style of censorship and content moderation. He's responded to people's concerns about getting banned from the platform, saying that that's not going to happen. But of course, there are still plenty of accounts out there that he hasn't brought back. Regardless, we have not even given this news 24 hours at this point. It's great that people have dug into the background. It's good that we know all of this information so that we can observe the situation with some knowledge, with our eyes open. But I think it's a little presumptive to just assume, oh, this is the final straw. This is the proof that Elon is actually a bad guy this whole time. Why in the world would he do something so obvious if that was the case? If he's some like double or triple agent sent to destroy all of us and usher in the dystopian fantasy of our technocratic overlords, why would he now do something so overt and so obvious as to choose a leftist COVID vaccine supporting World Economic Forum member to be CEO? That kind of blows your cover immediately if it's true. Some people want Elon to be a hero. Some people want Elon to be a villain. And at some point in the future, maybe we will know for sure. But right now, we're about seven months into this Elon Musk Twitter experiment. It's been a little over a year since it was announced that he was going to be buying Twitter. And the changes that we've seen so far have largely been very positive. This woman has significant media experience. Tucker Carlson just announced that he was going to be bringing his show and his content over to Twitter. Elon announced that they were going to have some sort of uh, Roku or Apple TV or Amazon Fire app so that you could watch things from Twitter on your television at home. We know that Elon is looking to take Twitter and making it more of a multifunctional content platform. He's going to introduce some sort of TV element. So this woman and her background, her profile would seem to fit into that model. Are they going to end up being some sort of content studio and produce their own content? This woman might be an appropriate choice for that. He has announced that she's going to be available to answer people's questions and so I think we might as well just sit back a little bit, observe this, see what happens, see what she says, see how she represents herself. Maybe she has interesting things to say about her involvement with the World Economic Forum or about these ridiculous social issues that she seems to have championed in the past. It's possible that she's an absolutely terrible choice and that there is such a negative backlash from people on Twitter that within the next six weeks, Elon Musk goes a different direction. I think that's probably unlikely, but people on both sides are upset. People on the right are concerned with everything we just discussed. People on the left are concerned with the fact that she used to work with Donald Trump and now she's working with Elon Musk, who they all are convinced is a villain. And Elon just reasserted that the most entertaining outcome is the most likely. Therefore, one would conclude that something about all of this is going to end up being entertaining. So we might as well wait and see what it is. If people want to complain about this hiring, good, go ahead and complain. If you want to quit Twitter, good, go ahead and quit Twitter. All of these are rational decisions. And the truth is you might be right. I am going to take a more relaxed approach and see what happens because I think something much more significant is going on with Elon Musk. And I've discussed that plenty of times. Now, last night, the Wall Street Journal ran an interesting op-ed by Kimberly Strassel. The headline is Biden's CIA assist in the 2020 presidential election. Even new habits are hard to break. And that's the case with a federal intelligence apparatus that can't keep its fingers out of elections. It seems President-elect Biden on November 4th, 2020, owed thanks not only to a cabal of former intelligence officials, but to the Central Intelligence Agency. That's the big takeaway of this week's interim report 
from House committees detailing the origins of the October 2020 disinformation letter about Hunter Biden's laptop. An earlier release revealed that Joe Biden's campaign helped engineer a statement from 51 former U.S. spies that claimed the laptop had all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. That letter provided Democrats, journalists, and social media companies the excuse to dismiss and censor evidence of Hunter's influence peddling, removing an obstacle from his father's path to victory. Now we find out, according to a written statement supplied to the committee, an active CIA official joined the effort to solicit more signers to the letter. The campaign to elect Joe Biden extended into Langley. The report issued jointly by the Judiciary and Intelligence Committees and the Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government tells the sordid story of the letter, beginning with a call from Biden campaign official Antony Blinken to former CIA director Mike Morrell three days after the New York Post published its laptop scoop. Mr. Morrell told the committees that Blinken wanted his quote unquote reaction to the laptop news. But another signer said Mr. Morrell put it to him bluntly. The Biden campaign asked for the letter. Mr. Morrell says he scurried to help because he wanted Joe Biden to win the election or as he emailed former CIA director John Brennan because he wanted him to have a talking point for the final presidential debate. Behind the scenes, he campaigned for more signups because the more former intelligence officials, the better, and the campaign will be thrilled. The organizers put special focus on flagging the credentials of officials with Russia experience to lend credibility to their unsubstantiated claims. John Brennan actually was just back in this week to testify, and I've seen it pointed out. I cannot remember who said this, but they made a good point. All of these officials listed in that letter were listed with their titles. They were legitimately trading on their credentials and using their credentials to make the point they were making in that letter, which is that no one should trust the very real Hunter Biden laptop. They were essentially proactively implicating their own agencies. The initial draft contained two impassioned paragraphs defending Mr. Biden against criticism over his son's CD work in Ukraine. Some viewed them as too partisan and they were removed. We learned that former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, last seen playing bandmaster in the Russia collusion hoax, contributed the all the classic earmarks line to, quote, strengthen the verbiage. We also learned that of the 36 former Intel officials Mr. Morell approached, 26 declined to sign, something organizers failed to note when flogging their letter as the widespread view of the Intel community. And that is really worth noting. Many of the people who were approached to sign this letter said no, because they knew it wasn't correct. They knew it was a bad idea. They knew they would be making themselves liable for something really awful. So far, so partisan. Here's where it crosses a line. Former CIA employees are required to submit things they intend to make public to the CIA's pre-publication classification review board to ensure they aren't spilling classified info. The board is made up of CIA officials and is small and notoriously slow. Its website warns that even routine items like resumes or op-eds may require several weeks to months for approval. So that's what former CIA employees are forced to go through before they submit information to the public. The CIA gets a chance to review all of that information to make sure that nothing they don't want going out goes out. No such problem for the well-connected Mr. Morell. He submitted his letter for clearance at 6.34 a.m. on October 19th and presto, it was approved by 12.44 p.m. A colleague texts him to congratulate. You have some juice. Mr. Morell, at the time auditioning for the CIA job in a Biden administration jokes, they are probably afraid I'm coming back. Around the same time, former CIA official David Carrions receives a call from a person on the board. After telling Mr. Carrions that his memoir had been approved, lucky, the official suddenly tells him about the draft letter, 
describes its contents and asks him to get on board. He does, as does his wife, also a former CIA official. Mr. Carrions now says he can't remember the person's name or when the call happened. He nonetheless sent an email to the organizers declaring himself a willing signatory at 1035 a.m. That a CIA official was using government time and resources to scheme with outside partisans to assist in Mr. Biden's victory is worthy of termination. Consider, too, that this CIA official was better placed to know there was no truth to the letter's assertion. That very day, then DNI John Ratcliffe, privy to all, had publicly said the Intel community had nothing to support the claim that the laptop was disinformation. Such reckless disregard for rules raises the legitimate question of what other ways the CIA may have been tilting the political scales in 2020. Predictably, the agency is ignoring a request by the committees for documents related to the board's clearance of the letter and any interactions it had with former employees like Mr. Carrion's about the letter. There's no excuse for such stonewalling, especially given the board itself has declared the whole issue non-classified. But it's par for the course. Federal intel and law enforcement agencies ever more brazenly interfere in politics with leaks, probes, and tip-offs to politicians. Then retreat behind claims of secrecy when queried. They can't have it both ways. Now, that's a pretty good summary of the situation and the influence of the CIA on the 2020 presidential election. And of course, being that this is the Wall Street Journal, they're very soft around all of that. She doesn't talk about how the CIA influenced the election specifically, just that they interfered in politics. It's actually much bigger than that. They willfully and knowingly influenced the outcome of an American presidential election. They're supposed to be protecting this country, not subverting it. This demands a little bit more than just simply firing people. If the people of this nation were thinking generally more rationally, this would be a much bigger issue. They've now been told specifically that the CIA and all of these former intelligence officials conspired to help rig the presidential election. Should we really imagine that the CIA's influence stopped right there? The deep state's influence stopped right there? The regime's influence stopped right there? That's all they did was rig the laptop? Well, we know that's not true. But people continue to deny election fraud or election manipulation. People continue to believe that Joe Biden is a legitimate American president. And some people even continue to believe that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. But all of those positions are becoming untenable publicly, not just for us in our little bubble, in our community, in our echo chamber, as they all like to call it. They pretend that our information is just in here and no one in the outside world ever listens to anything we say, even though everything we say ends up being believed by all those people eventually. It isn't just us now. The Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, Fox News, these are mainstream media outlets, and they are telling people in no uncertain terms the CIA was involved in rigging this election. What keeps people from accepting this and understanding the gravity of these claims? Well, that's the hate movement. They hate Donald Trump. They hate Donald Trump supporters. They are unwilling to allow themselves to ever be placed in a position of being wrong about any of this, where all of those people, Trump and his supporters, were right. They cannot deal with that. So they just ignore it all and we go on. But as you can see over the course of these last few years, these issues don't go away because we're not letting them go away. People whine at me all the time on Twitter. Why don't you just let this go? Why would I let it go? The usurpation of the United States of America. Do we want a country? Do we want a good and functioning country? Do we want elections to actually matter? Do we want the people to have any way of actually expressing their opinions and using their voice? Well, if we care about any of that stuff, we can't let that go because that's what enables the rest of it. That's what enables the brainwashing in the schools and the censorship online. 
and the total degradation of our culture, the opening of our borders, the horrific financial situation, the vaccine mandates, the Ukraine war, and the list goes on and on. There's no getting over something like that. And it's silly that people even suggest the possibility. Now, I want to hit a geopolitical story, and then we're going to have some fun with Sky Circles because we have some Sky Circle news this week. But first, this is from the BBC on Monday. Chile Constitution, far-right party, biggest in new assembly. The far-right Republican Party has finished first in an election to choose the members of the body tasked with drawing up Chile's new constitution. Are they as far right as our Republican Party, BBC? The Republican Party won 22 out of the 51 seats, with right-wing parties winning another 11 seats. The Constitutional Assembly is to come up with a new constitution to replace the one brought in during the military rule of General Augusto Pinochet. A draft by a previous assembly was rejected in a referendum last year. The first assembly had been dominated by progressive members, and many Chileans found their proposals too radical. The constitution they had proposed would have changed many of the country's institutions, such as replacing the Senate with a chamber of regions. It would also have declared Chile a plurinational state, recognizing the rights of Chile's indigenous groups, which make up about 13% of the population, to their lands and resources. The failed proposal, which had the backing of left-wing president Gabriel Boric, also included improved social benefits and environmental rights. Environmental rights. That's interesting. I wonder if like trees have the right not to be sexually harassed. Had it been passed, it would have become one of the world's most progressive constitutions. But in September 2022, 62% of voters rejected it, prompting Sunday's election for a new assembly. There were 50 seats up for grabs, with an additional seat reserved for a representative from Chile's indigenous population. The Republican Party, led by Jose Antonio Cast, won more than 35% of the vote and secured 22 seats. The conservative Chile Seguro, that means Safe Chile, coalition, will have 11 representatives after securing 21% of the votes. So that means conservatives in the Chilean election won 56% of the votes. The left-wing Unidad para Chile won 17 seats, leaving it short of the 21 it would have needed to be able to give it veto power. The leader of the far-right Republican Party, Jose Antonio Cast, said that his group's victory was a sign that the ideas of common sense have triumphed. Mr. Cast, who lost against Gabriel Boric in the 2021 presidential election, is seen as the big winner in Sunday's poll. His party has been opposed to changing the current Pinochet-era constitution from the start. Analysts say the new body will now face an uphill struggle to reconcile the ideas of its conservative majority with the clamor for change, which triggered the process in the first place. The drive for a new constitution started in 2019 after mass protests rocked Chile and caused serious disruption in the country, which is normally seen as a haven of stability in the region. Isn't that amazing? A mass protest, an uprising in a normally stable region caused a serious disruption in the country and led a drive to create a new constitution, one that would be decided upon by progressives. That, my friends, sounds like a color revolution orchestrated in Chile. And as you might guess, if you look up 2019 Chile color revolution, you will find articles like this one from Vice. The headline is photos of a youth revolution that succeeded. And the subheading says that a photojournalist documented the Chilean student movement that elected Gabriel Boric, the country's youngest president ever. Sounds exactly like the Sunflower Revolution in Taiwan that we discussed last week, doesn't it? And it, of course, should be no surprise that George Soros's vice outlet 
covers this color revolution in glowing terms because George Soros, of course, is the king of color revolutions. Now, I'm no expert on Chile, but it sounds like Chile has successfully beaten back a color revolution in the country. So we will see how that progresses. And finally, some Sky Circle news. This is from yesterday in Reuters. Why the U.S. delayed China sanctions after shooting down a spy balloon. When an alleged Chinese spy balloon traversed the United States in February, some U.S. officials were confident the incursion would galvanize the U.S. bureaucracy to push forward a slate of actions to counter China. Instead, the U.S. State Department held back human rights-related sanctions, export controls, and other sensitive actions to try to limit damage to the U.S.-China relationship, according to four sources with direct knowledge of U.S. policy, as well as internal emails from Reuters. The delays to items on the department's competitive actions calendar, a classified rolling list of steps the Biden administration has planned related to China, have alarmed some U.S. government officials and revealed a divide between those in the U.S. government pushing for tougher action against China and others advocating a more restrained approach. While the State Department signaled U.S. displeasure over the balloon by postponing Secretary of State Antony Blinken's scheduled visit to Beijing, an internal State Department message reviewed by Reuters shows senior U.S. officials delaying planned actions against China. Rick Waters, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for China and Taiwan, who leads the China House Policy Division, said in a February 6th email to staff that has not been previously reported, quote, guidance from the Secretary of State is to push non-balloon actions to the right so we can focus on symmetric and calibrated response. We can revisit other actions in a few weeks. The sources said many measures have yet to be reviewed. The decision to postpone export licensing rules for telecom equipment maker Huawei and sanctions against Chinese officials for abuses of Uyghurs has damaged morale at China House, they said. President Joe Biden's administration has sought to prevent a further deterioration in ties with China's communist government, which many analysts say have hit the lowest point since they began in 1979. Former diplomats and members of Congress from both parties have argued that the U.S. must keep channels of communication open with Beijing to avoid misunderstandings and navigate crises. But the sources said the current policy hews too closely to an earlier strategy of engagement that enabled China to extract concessions in exchange for high-level dialogues that often yielded few tangible results. Speaking to Reuters on condition of anonymity for fear of repercussions, they said Blinken had largely delegated China policy duties to Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman, the United States second ranked diplomat. Now, this is all very interesting to me because Reuters is one of the key mouthpieces of the global state media. They do not publish news that undermines the regime unless they are trying to cover up something bigger. It's a limited hangout style of piece or trying to protect key figures while reporting a story that will soon become unavoidable. They want to make the first statement and define what the story is before investigative journalism and independent journalism kicks in and figures out the real story. In response to questions from Reuters, a senior State Department official said that under the Biden administration, the State Department had, quote, coordinated with the interagency on a record setting number of sanctions, export controls and other competitive actions toward China. Without commenting on specific actions, this work is sensitive and complex and obviously sequencing is essential to maximize impact and make sure our messaging is clear and lands precisely, the official said. Sherman did not respond to a request for comment. Testifying before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee on February 9th, she said the department was modernizing its work and would, quote, keep pushing back against the PRC's aggressive military, diplomatic and economic practices. And you always got to note the distinction between the PRC and the CCP when you're hearing comments from these people on both sides. 
Usually the regime members will call it the PRC because they don't want to call it the CCP because the regime has been fully aligned with the CCP for decades. It's also interesting that this is anonymously sourced to protect someone from repercussions of saying all this. But what did they say? They gave the story and they said it was not Antony Blinken's fault. It was Wendy Sherman's fault. So it sounds like they're having Wendy Sherman walk the plank to protect Antony Blinken from something much bigger. So China flies the sky circle over the United States. The fake administration is totally embarrassed. Joe Biden is totally embarrassed. Antony Blinken is totally embarrassed. And in response to this, they scale back the efforts to sanction China for human rights abuses. And they pause on various trade measures. There's an article on this issue in Red State, and they address who Wendy Sherman is. The article says, She's the China-loving official who led the lobbying effort against the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act of 2021. So not only is Blinken derelict in his duties by passing off the biggest U.S. foreign policy issue in existence to an underling, but he gave those duties to someone with a long history of being suspiciously soft on the Chinese and specifically the Chinese Communist Party. Sherman was also at the forefront of the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan infamously proclaiming that the Taliban seek legitimacy. And these are the sorts of things that happen when you have an illegitimate president in office and that illegitimate president is compromised to our foreign adversaries, like, for instance, China. So the sky circle claims another victim. And honestly, you have to be impressed with the sky circle. The sky circle has done more to threaten the legitimacy of the fake Biden administration than any establishment Republican has in the last two and a half years. So congratulations, Sky Circle. Thank you, Sky Circle. We worship and praise you, Sky Circle. And I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masked and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic, and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!